It was 2 a.m. It was a jolt of adrenaline that no one ever wants to experience. This RA had been studying for hours for an intense exam he had the next day. He'd finally gone to sleep when all of a sudden, light explodes into his room. The hallway lights making a very unwelcome entrance. He heard a muffled whisper. And he didn't really think much about it. He tried to nod it off, try to push it aside. He wanted to get back to that escape of sleep that he was longing for. Then all of a sudden he feels a piece of paper pressed into his pillow. And he experienced a jolt that not even the world's supply of caffeine could contend with. He bursts out of his room because he knows there's something not right here. In fact, this was the moment that he always dreaded when he signed up to be a resident assistant in the first place. All the orientation seminars on mental health, on suicide, and now it was real. And so he bolts out of his room, not caring at all if every sound and step he makes is known by the entire dormitory. He doesn't care. He bursts into the outside air, hands trembling when he looks to his right. He sees a dear friend. Tears unending, knife in hand. What could he say? What words could really remedy this situation, right? And so he cautiously approaches and he sits down at his side. And for a while, it's just the two of them. Darkness and stillness around them, that's all that was there. And then a mumbling barges into the scene. And his friend reveals this lonely wandering, this lostness he'd been experiencing for a long time in his life. He said, you know, I feel like I have two minds. There's the one mind that seeks Jesus, that loves Jesus, and knows the hope that I have in him, the wholeness that I have in him. Then there's this other mind that almost wants to psychologically tear me apart. At one time telling me I need to please people and I need to find somebody who will accept me But at the same time, it's that mind that tells me that I can't be accepted and that no one could ever love me for me and I'm just an outcast, always going to be one. What would you have said to that young man on that cold fall night? Whether you realize it or not, you and I have faced similar things. We know his double-minded struggle well. It's the struggle of, do I need to please people, be a people pleaser, or do I want to be a God pleaser? We have this feeling that we can straddle that fence to try to find our value in both God and what people think of us. But it always ends kind of where that college guy was. A feeling of inadequacy, a feeling of inconsistency, a feeling of double-mindedness. So how can we grab hold of, how can we see the Lord's single-mindedness, his love for you, his value that he places in you? Well, James half-brother of Jesus by blood, his complete brother by faith. He knew the struggle far too intimately. See, for most of his adult life, James considered Jesus to be a farce. He challenged him. He didn't believe in him. But now, he was convinced. Convinced to the point that he was the pastor in the church in Jerusalem. He knew single-mindedness. He knew God's his mission, his purpose. And yet, he looked at his church family And he saw they were struggling with this same double-minded struggle. They thought they could have their feet in two camps. One foot in the camp of the worldly influences around them. 
trying to fit in, trying to be popular, trying to massage Christianity with the philosophy of that time to make it sound more palatable. And yet, the other side, the other foot that was in the camp of Christ that wanted to have this complete solidarity with him, to be completely united with him. And you heard what Jesus said in the gospel. Anything that gets in the way of that connection, that one-way connection we have with him, it must be cut off. It must be gotten rid of. But they thought they could do both. And so you'd have one day where they're filling the Jerusalem soundscape with praises, and then the next day, they're trying to say they're not Christians to avoid persecution. You have one day where they're excited to just stand their ground to say, you know, no matter what we go through, we're going to stand for Christ. And then the next day, not even have the heart to help the most oppressed and socially underprivileged in their culture. One minute praising God, the next minute judging their family, Christ. So here's the thing, is they forgot about this impossible inconsistency you and I, we can't be friends with Satan and the world and yet still be friends with Jesus. You can't do that. When we try to do that, we're only going to end up in despair. You and I know what this double-mindedness looks like and feels like. You know, for me, when I read James's words in chapter 4, verse 7 there, you know, submit yourselves then to God. I'd love to tell you that I see this incredible solidarity with Jesus and I see that, oh yeah, I'm unified with him. But so often I feel attention instead. I think of the times where I haven't submitted to Jesus and tried to make Jesus submit to my own will. Now, you and I, we come here to connect with God, right? And it's awesome and we love it. But then we leave this church when we're disrespected at home or at work or people don't seem to get with the program like we think it should go. It's much more easy to connect with anger and with discontentment. All of us this morning just said we are completely sinful and we have no way to even take one step toward approaching God, to be close with him, to have heaven. And yet the next day we could judge people for not living according to the standards that we've set. Instead of having a heart of empathy and compassion for a sinner who's lost, we instead look with judgment and comparison. I I hate to say it, but maybe you can relate. I, found my, I find myself at times looking at my sin, instead of grieving over it, like James talks about, having tears over it, I laugh when I get away with it. And instead of looking at my own sin and just saying, Lord, please forgive me, I look at other people and say, at least I'm not like them. See, this double-mindedness thing, it's, it's all around us. It's always tempting us. See, the thing is, is each and every one of us has this sinful traitor self that lives within us that wants nothing more than to rip us away from Jesus. It's this sinful traitor self within us that thinks we can be people pleasers and God pleasers all at the same time. And that's why I look at this, if you think about that young man outside the dormitory, you get it. Because if you try to please people, if you try to find your value and your worth in them, while also trying to find your value and worth in God, it's this impossible fence to straddle. Or eventually you're going to fall off. And we try to look within to try to see our value, to make it for ourselves, to make meaning for ourselves. But you only end up empty. And all these things, it only leads to despair. In fact, it's no surprise that James talks about judging other people immediately after he talks about this whole idea of submission. Because as people who want to find value, if we, can't, if we can't measure up to God's standards, we can't measure up to our own standards or people's standards, the only logical conclusion then is we have to look to see how we're better than other people to get into this 
comparison exercise over and over and over again, but all that's going to lead to is a life of bitterness and judgment toward humanity, not wholeness, wellness, and peace. But in all these things, my dear family, don't lose sight of the real enemy here. Yes, the sinful traitor self within us, yes, is certainly an enemy, but it's not calling the shots. You know who does. It's that devil of a being who wants nothing more than for you to leave Jesus behind and make it through life on your own, even though he knows the darkness that's going to envelop you in the end. You know, that's why Paul talks about our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the dark powers of this world. You know, it's easy to assign all of our problems on, you know, if so-and-so treated me better, I wouldn't be this way. Or, you know, if I had these gifts and abilities, I could serve Jesus better. If Jesus, if you gave me what I needed, I could do it. But you're not giving that to me. It's easy to assign blame to people, to God, to our, even our own self. But self-hating and self-loathing is not the answer. And that's not the real enemy. The real enemy is the devil who, from the beginning, has wanted to make your relationship with God a non-factor. Good news for you and me is that we do have a single-minded attacker who, despite our double-mindedness, has one purpose and one mission and one goal that's never changed since before the earth began. And that's you. You know, I think that's what James is doing here. He's taking us away from the inward focus and looking at the outward reality of the gospel. When you see that word, submit, do you see your dear brother Jesus who submitted his own life to the point that he went to the cross for you, the gospel in human skin himself who walked every step you've ever walked so you could walk one day with him into his arms in heaven. When you see those words, those action verbs, wash and purify, you see the callous, nail-marked hands of your Savior who has purified your heart more than you can ever imagine, who picks up all of our broken pieces and takes it back into his shop and pieces us back together to be more and more like him, who transforms and purifies our hearts so that these hands can go into our communities throughout the world and serve people in only a way that Jesus can. When you hear his invitation to draw near, to come near, and you see the automatic response of God, and he will come near to you, does that not just bring you to tears? Is there any more of a heart-stopping thought than the God of the universe containing himself in a human embryo and then a baby and then a toddler then a tween and then a teen and then an adult who knows every single experience you've ever faced, who's put every single bit of pain and guilt and shame that you felt on his back, who can empathize with you and connect with you unlike anybody else who knows you better than you know yourself, who wants nothing but solidarity with you in every way. And then you finally get to James's encouragement to not be double-minded. You think about the single-minded compassion of your God, the beating heart of your Savior, that no matter who came up against him, even his own friends who said, don't do this, don't go to the cross, he only had one mission. He had one purpose, one goal, so that you wouldn't have to go through this life with despair, with feelings of inadequacy, with feelings of shame, that you would forget that. And embrace something that's so life-transforming and so identity-shifting that your eyes and your vision and your purpose can only be Jesus. You know, as I was studying for this, for this sermon, I came across a really awesome quote by pastor and author Tim Keller. Maybe you've heard of him. He summed up this, this joy of single-mindedness like this. He said, the Christian gospel is that I am so flawed 
that Jesus had to die for me. Yet I'm so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I do not think more of myself or less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. And as you think of yourself less and think of Jesus more, the enemy only has one option, and that's retreat. As you forget about this deformity of sin and embrace the solidarity with Jesus that you have, he must flee. I love that verse here. When you draw near to God, the devil must flee you. That is his only option because if he tries to stand his ground, he's going to be annihilated. He knows that. So when you draw near to Jesus, you don't have to feel like he's going to shame you. If you bare your soul to him, you don't have to feel like he's going to bring all this guilt into your life. No, instead he restores you. And even better, he reciprocates your love even tenfold beyond what you can give to him. See, what Jesus does as he responds to you in your prayers. He wants you to confess those sins to him, not because he doesn't know them, because he wants to heal them. He wants you to forget about this inconsistency that's there, this double-mindedness that's all around us, and instead, to have that tunnel-like focus on him and the life of humility we get to live because we have that joy. So how can we not just put everything we have into that? How can we not put all of who we are into the cause of Jesus. See, here's the thing. is no longer are we zipping up those judicial robes to judge God or judge our neighbor. No. And so we get down from that judge's seat and we start standing in the courtroom of humanity with other people. Because we realize, if God can save someone like me, I can't wait to see what he can do for somebody like you. Because you see grace personified in action. Grace personified that promises you pardon and grace and freedom. Freedom from trying to live this people-pleasing, God-pleasing, double life. Forget about that. You're not a spiritual double agent anymore. You are an agent for Christ in every way. So what room do you have in your mind to think about anything else but Jesus? What room do you have to judge other people? What room do you have to slander other people? What room do you have to be jealous of what other people have, the gifts that God has given them? And you say, Lord, thank you for this diversity you've brought to our team. And thank you that I get to be even a small part of that team. That I can be single-minded in my life. That I can be, yeah, if people will call me simple-minded because of it, I don't care. I have one purpose. I have one passion. And that's the cause for Jesus. My dear family, don't lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of the joy that you have because you are single-minded. Let that joy encapsulate you. Think about what that joy means for the people around you. See, here's the thing. That college student outside the dorm is not alone in his struggle. And maybe you face similar things too. And I know that you have people in your life that have faced similar things. But don't forget the hope that he clung to even in the darkest of times. And that's the hope that you have too. It's that hope that no matter what darkness throws at you, it must resist because the devil can't stand up against the light. Cherish that joy of single-mindedness. Recognize it and yes, even suffer for it. Because that's the only thing that matters. Jesus is there. He comes near to you in so many ways. He'll never stop coming near to you. So as you go out into this world, as you go out into this life this week, be single-minded. 
because you know that God has been single-minded about you since before the creation of the world. And that in every moment, you are always on Jesus' mind. Amen. And to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be all glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages now and forevermore. Amen.